Due to the surge in Vietnamese refugees, the U.S. Refugee Act of 1980 was created to provide a permanent and systematic procedure for the admission of refugees of special humanitarian concern to the United States. This is part two of Christine Staley's story of her escape from Vietnam and relocation to the United States. Christine and her family are among the estimated 800,000 Vietnamese boat people who came to America. Despite the language barrier, being in a foreign country, and having to start over, Christine worked hard to pursue her passion and fulfill a career in civil service to the United States. Welcome to GeoInteresting. So, we, um, very shortly when we get off the ship, we hit the sandbar. We couldn't go anywhere. We, we saw the island. We, we were told that's the island that we're supposed to go mm -hmm. to. We hit the sandbar, we got stuck. And all of a sudden, I hear gunshots, oh. loud gunshot, and they wouldn't stop. I was terrified. I mean, everybody was terrified. Mm -hmm. What's going on? And we hear screaming, screaming louder and louder, and the more screaming, I mean, it's just like, first of all, it's just like a couple of, of, of I can hear a couple of voices, and then it's more and more people. We got stuck, and I, we're pretty sure that now it's definitely the pri pirates now. It's like there's it has to be mm -hmm. pirates here. Then um, my mom was up, my mom up, up there, my mom just ran to the, the hole that we climbed up and down. My, my mom said, stay down there, cover your face, whatever, get the oil, cover your face. It's pirates. But we cover our faces with oil and, and we just stay low down there and then all of a sudden we hear, you, come up here. All of you, come up, come up. And I look on that little hole, I saw this big guy wearing the red boxer short, <laughs> holding a gun up like this, shooting up in the air. I was about to faint. And I, I said, oh my God, we went this far, we make this far, and now this. Yeah. His name was Tony. He's the Marine for the Philippines. Wow. He's the sweetest guy. He was so kind, so sweet, so gentle when we met him. But at that day, I was so scared of Tony. And he wouldn't stop shooting. He keeps shooting up in the air. So we all find that we all get off the boat. We line, they line us up on the shore. And we see nobody, but we're surrounded by men, Filipino men found out that the 24 Marines and 24 Navy guard the island. And that's the Marines and the Navy that we met. Wow. And there was a captain there, welcomed us to the island, and he said, there used to be an official refugee camp here. But because the number of the refugees getting so big, we are now moving to Balawan, which is a much bigger island so now this island here is just the Marine and the Navy. Um, and so that, uh, that my beginning of my time in the refugee camp. So we were there for a month. Um, and then we finally, they transport us to Bala Balawan, which is the uh, official refugee camp now. And it's after one month in, in Tara Island, I was, we, the, our family was moved um, to Palawan. And so 
Palawan, life in Palawan in the refugee camp is another story, it's another challenge. Um, it was ran by the UN. And uh, on the camp we have the Red Cross volunteer helping the refugee. We have one church and uh, one temple, Buddhist temple. And uh, you pretty much just sit there and wait. Wait, f you don't know the future. Mm -hmm. you, you know that you make the escape. You know mm -hmm. that you survive. But what's in front of us, we don't know. Um, we, I remember crying almost every day because I just lost everything. I lost my home country. I lost my hometown. My dad was still back with the communist. Right. I'm here with my mom and my five other siblings. We don't know our future. Um, we know that we escape communism, but what's in front of us, we don't know. So when you sit there and wait for seven and a half months and you don't know your future, it's a long mm -hmm. wait. It's hard to keep hope alive, right? Right. And um, you hear that people got turned down. Of course, our number one would be America, because I think it's when we escape, we don't we don't think of any other places to settle, but America. Because growing up, I see the American veterans, the American soldier in my hometown. And I think in Vietnam, always associate ourselves with America because of the war, the Vietnam War. So I, I didn't think anything, but we definitely going to America. That's it. Um, my uncle, who escaped a year before, settled in Virginia. And the reason he settled in Virginia because he used to work for the um, U.S. military back in my hometown. He was the one who um, drove the trucks to provide all the supply for the military base. And so when he escaped, his um, American boss was in Virginia. And so that's why he sponsored mm -hmm. my uncle over. And wow. that's the relationship why we ended up being in Virginia because of my uncle was here. Wow. Yeah. But in the, the Philippines, it was, it was hard. Um, they gave us uh, food, rice. Uh, back in Tara, the small island, we have rice and we have salt. That's our meal every day. Wow. And, and not just the fine salt we have, it's like the rock, big salt. Then that's what we have for our meal every day. So I remember going out to um, the field, my mom would take us to go around the island. It's the island is wild, so we pick up some vegetable that we know that we can eat, and so at least to have some vegetable, right. and we just cook it with salt and how we eat. So now when we move to the Palawan, the big island, it's more structure. So we have either fish or meat based on the number of your headcount of your family. So in the morning you go out there and you stay in line, you pick up food and you cook for the rest of the day. Um, for, for the family. And um, I sent, um, I shared some picture with Colin about, you know, the house mm -hmm. um, in, in the refugee camp. And um, we focused, the, the time there, we focused on learning English and what we can do um, for the community. So my sister, um, volunteer to be um, an assistant, teacher assistant, to, to teach the kid, hmm. the kids English. 
and the uh, this instructor teacher was uh, Filipino. Of course, they, her, her English was fluent. But my sister helped her, assist her. We had very limited English. We focused on learning English the last year when we knew that we want to escape, so we, we learned English a little bit more. And I volunteered to work for the Red Cross, so just to, uh, to pay back, you know, to help with mm -hmm. the community and just give us a chance to improve our English and to keep us busy. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you go crazy sitting there. So um, that's our time in the Philippines. Um, so and then how did you find out you were going to leave? Or right, so um, my... So we filed an application with the um, American, what the hell, what did they call that? The American group that came over and interviewed the refugees. We filed an application with them. And also over here in Virginia, my uncle filed an application that he wanted to sponsor us over. And at that point in time, I didn't know why when the American interview people, whether they want to select you to go to America, they always call for an interview at like one, two o'clock, midnight, Midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning. Why did they call for the interview at that time? I realized that because of the time difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all like, right. we were like, wait, we're sleeping. No, no, you have to come for an interview. So they interview the entire family to make sure that you are one family that because people were putting kids or especially with the Amer um, half Vietnamese and half American children, some people were just buy them mm -hmm. or put them in the family and, and claim it at five kids so my entire family can go with the kids, for example. So they interview very thoroughly. They interview you, not just one, but twice, three times. Wow. And they ask different questions with the kids to make sure that you are the, in the family. Um, they turned us down the first time. I can't remember the reason why they turned us down the first time. Then my uncle reapplied again. They came and interviewed us again and they approved us. So that's the first step. Wow. It was my mom and all of us were so happy that we got the approved to come to America. The next step, we don't know when we got the signal to go. But now at least we passed the first step. Right. So it was months, which is every day, which is waiting for the announcement from the speaker, from the cam that this family, such and such, come to the office because now you have the ticket to go. We just wait for that moment. Eventually that moment came and uh, we all got on the plane and we left Palawan, we went to Manila. We spent two days in another refugee camp in Manila. Manila is just a transition camp and we got on the plane to come to America. Wow. And so we closed that chapter in the refugee camp and we came to America we landed, we, first of all, we came to Honolulu, mm. and then we spent a night in San Francisco. Then we came here to Virginia, our final destination. It was February 28th, 1981. Wow. When I, my family and I came here as political refugees in this country. Wow, so how long had that entire journey taken? It was... So I, um, escaped Vietnam in July of 1980. Wow. I came here February 28, 81. Wow. That time in between, I was in the refugee camp, or on the boat in the water. And what was that adjustment like? I mean, when you got here, obviously you were happy to have finally made it, but right. then adjusting to life in it the States. It was 
very scary. Remember, we didn't um, we didn't speak much English, um, and we came here. I can, I remember coming here with two pair of pants and and two shirts for all of us from my family. Wow. We didn't have anything, and um, how are we going to make it? I mean, it's it just like okay, we. We're so happy, we're so fortunate that we make the escape. We're mm-hmm. so, the part of our refugee life in the refugee camp is over, but now we're here. What's going to happen to us? How are we going to make it happen? Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after I came here, uh, I came here in February, and the, um, it was the USCC, I can't remember the, the name, the full name, but that that's the organization that helped the refugee and they coordinate with summer work for for the students for the youth so they put me into um, so I worked for the social services during that first few months when I first came here as a as a summer student job and then um, just to help other Vietnamese refugees in, in translation with my limited English I don't know how they trust me enough to put me in that job I was just so happy to meet other Vietnamese people because I, we feel so lost. Mm-hmm. We were so scared. Um, my uncle was there, but he has his own life. So pretty much my mom and six of us now. Um, the program back then was to put the refugees on welfare and food stamp for 18 months just to help us out. And then after 18 months, you're on your own. I am forever grateful for that 18 months. And I remember... Um, I received $214 a month for welfare wow. and $32 on food stamp on for me because I was older than 18, so I was independent. So I got a separate amount. And my mom and my five other siblings received a different amount because they are they one mm-hmm. family. Um, we did whatever we could to survive. My I remember the social worker would um, so took us around to different churches and t- we pick up clothes from, from different church to wear for, that's what we did for three years, just, we didn't have any money and, and my mom did everything she could to support us because welfare and food stamp are not enough mm-hmm. I mean it's just, just enough to pay for mm-hmm. the rent and um, my mom had two jobs um, she worked for a restaurant in Georgetown, she had to take two or three different buses to get there and work all day long for a Vietnamese restaurant. Oh. Took two or three buses to come home and um, just look at us, have dinner with us, and then she took off, take different buses to her second job. Oh. Um, she, uh, there's a, not a Vietnamese family who settled before 1975, so they well established. They have an, an old aunt um, they just asked my mom to spend the night, every night, just like a babysit the aunt to talk to her and just keep her company at mm. night. And then in the morning, my mom would come home, check on us, took off again wow. um, to go work in, in, in the restaurant. And I remember we didn't have enough money to buy food. So my mom would, uh, when she worked in the restaurant, she would bring home, you know how you eat, you go to the restaurant, you eat the chicken. They, they, they remove the meat from the bone. So the, the bone left my mom would bring home. And that's what we that's what we ate for years. Uh-huh. Which is remote. My mom is an excellent cook. She makes so many different ways of cooking the chicken bones. Um, 
I enjoyed it. Um, I, I have no problem with that. One of my sisters traumatized. Really? Up to this day, she won't touch chicken <laughs> bones. She says she's just traumatized. Oh. Um, my mom did. I, I'm just very, very proud of her. As, um, as a woman coming from Vietnam, yeah. she depended heavily on my dad. And here, she made it happen for us. And the person who didn't speak a word of English, she would, she knew how to say yes and no, but she didn't understand the question to answer yes and no. She just knew two words, yes or no. And um, all she did was education, education, education. She said, it doesn't matter what happened to me or to your dad. We brought, we, you are here now. All you have to do is study. And that's what we did. We, we had nothing to eat. We had nothing to wear. But um, we did what we did well. We studied. We studied really hard. Wow. Yeah. And that's something that I'm, I'm very grateful for the guidance from my parents. Because I think that's my mom and my dad. It's like study hard. And that's mm -hmm. how you move up and that's how you survive. Either you're in Vietnam, it doesn't matter where you're at. You, you have no choice but to study. So what led you to a career in civil service, and how did you get here to NGA? Um, so let me go back a little bit on, um, on my education in, in America when mm -hmm. I was here. Um, I got here in February, and so they sent me to school in April. And they said, well, we have an option, because now I was 19, they said, we have an option to send you to learn ESL, English as a Second Language, with an adult like your mom, or we can send you to high school because you still can go to high school until you're 20 years old. So we're going to send you to Falls Church High School. This is social worker talking. Hmm. We're going to send you to Falls Church High School so you can learn English with kids your age instead of hanging out with, oh. the, with the older folks. So I went to high, Falls Church High School. Uh, in April. June came, that two months, nothing happened in there because I was just getting used to finding my locker. I, I get lost every single time. I don't know how to operate it. I don't know how to walk around the school. It looks so big to me. And I had no idea what people were saying around me. So June came and then they said, for you, next year you have to be out of high school because then you're 20 years old. And I'm very competitive in that sense. I said, they send me to school here, what I'm going to get out of. I'm going to make the most out of it. So I went to summer school, and um, my social worker said, do you think you can you know, study English and just go in there and have fun and study? And we're not, we don't expect anything from you. But I know better from my parents and from myself. So that summer, I signed up for English 11. I finished English 11. I don't know how I make that. I, I make everything with a C, but it doesn't matter as long as I get a C to pass. Then the school year, September, when the official, official school year started, I entered English 12. And I took history, um, government, you need math, you need all that, in order, you have enough mm -hmm. required credits in order to, to get a high school diploma. diploma. So I'm studying. ESL at the same time, and my very limited English. I, I remember sitting there in the back of my class, listening to the teacher, in, this is in government, 
Sunyan is that my God, I have no idea what she's saying. But she sounds like she's singing up there. It just sounds so beautiful. But but I have no idea what she's saying. Um, every day when I come home from school, I spend my entire afternoon and evening just to look up words in the dictionary, word by word. Mm-hmm. But when you when you try to put the word by word together, it doesn't make much sense in the whole sentence. But that's how I study. Um, so I got English 11 out of the way. I'm now doing 11, uh, 12. So what about English 9 and 10? So my ESL teacher said, I'm going to send you to Jepstool High School for you to take a test. If you pass the test, they give you the credit. I don't expect you to pass it the first time. Just go to see what it's like. You come back, I'm going to train you. So then you can, can come back and mm-hmm. pass the test. She sent me off on the bus. I went there, I passed English 9. Wow. I came back, she was like, I am so proud of you. I'm going to send you again for English 10. Three months later, she sent me, I passed English 10. Wow. Long story short, I graduated from high school, Falls Just High School, mm-hmm. 1982, in one year. Wow. At that time, I don't know about now, but that time, in the Falls Just High School history, nobody made it. I am so proud of my accomplishment, and uh, it's because of the support and the guidance from my mom, and all the support and the guidance from all the teachers that's there to to yeah. to help us. Um, so, and what a testament to your work ethic too. I mean, I work that's really amazing. Hard. Yes, thank yeah. you, thank you. Um, but I didn't know I wouldn't know to do anything differently. But that's that's how my parents raised us, mm-hmm. all of us. So going back to your question, you know, what made me choose to go into, to work for the federal government? So when I got my bachelor degree in accounting, I worked for a CPA firm. But in my mind, my brother back then already worked for Fort Belvoir. I'm very proud to say that my mom, who didn't speak English, who couldn't, who couldn't, who couldn't speak English, not that she didn't, she couldn't speak English, but raised six of us, and my brother is a PhD of electrical engineering who works for Fort <laughs> Belvoir from Virginia Tech. So Go Hokies. Uh, he always talked about the mission and, and how he proudly worked for Fort Belvoir and support the Army and things like that. So in my mind, we were like, oh my God, it was so cool. And as a, as a refugee coming here, Deep down inside me, I know that's the way to go. Um, I owe so much to this country that I want to do something to pay back. It's not, I remember I took the pay cut to go into the federal government because that's what I want to, I want to do. I don't want to work for a, fer- for a private company. It's all about profit. It's not in my heart. I knew that I'm going to go into the federal government. So, But I took the job in the CPA firm while waiting an opportunity mm-hmm. to go into the federal government. So my first job was um, at the Department of Commerce, Office of Inspector General, and I went in as a financial statement auditor. And uh, from there, I look out for the mission that I I love so I can do my a better job. So from um, opportunity, promotion came up, so I moved from Department of Commerce to Department of Justice. And then another promotion came up, so I moved to the Veterans Affairs. I really love 
the mission of Veterans Affairs because that's lo- close to heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I have the chance to see so many Vietnam vets and every chance I got, I thank them in person wow. and got to talk to them and um, to tell them that how much I appreciate their sacrifice. Seeing them in Vietnam when I was growing up, I didn't understand their sacrifice at all. I didn't know what they had to give up to be in my country. Mm-hmm. But since I'm here, I know it now. I look, look at this country. We are so wealthy here. And for them to give all that up to come to Vietnam, they could be killed any day. They could be killed any second, but they were there. And so now I got to really thank them from my heart. Wow. Um, I love the mission there. Same thing like why am I here at NGA now? It's the same thing. National security is another great mission to work for. It's I think if all the federal government, all the federal agency, we all have good mission. But for me, it's some mission is closer to my heart than others. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about you know, being here, how do you keep your Vietnamese heritage and traditions alive? Are there things that you, you know, still do to remember the old Vietnam or the Vietnam you knew, you know, when you were growing up? Right, right. Um, we speak Vietnamese at home. Um, so with my parents, we always, we speak Vietnamese. And uh, with the kids, and my, my, my nieces and nephew, I have one son. My niece and my nephew and my son, we, we speak Vietnamese with them. Of course, they're more comfortable speaking English among themselves, but they know when they speak with grandparents, they have to speak Vietnamese to them. Um, what we do, my parents have four daughters and two sons, so the four of us, four daughters, we um, split the month into four. So once a month, it's my turn to cook for my parents. So people in my office hear me. Oh, it's, how was your weekend? Oh, I, it's my turn to cook, so they know. Um, we. We four daughters take turns to cook. Um, so I, like my one of my sister is a vegetarian, so all she cooked was vegetarian food for my for my parents. My other was great, really really good cook with Vietnamese food. So she would cook those, and then my other sister would cook different thing. I mainly cook like mix mix of Vietnamese and American food. So we try to cook something different for them to eat, mm-hmm. um, and I would call. Like, Mom, what would you like this time? Or Dad, what would you like this time? And things like that. So that's something that to carry tradition. Tradition. I don't I don't think of that as so much carry tradition, but when you ask me now, it's like to me it's it's a it's a normal thing. It's like it's your your parents took care of you when you were small. It's now you take care of them mm-hmm. when they're older. So that's something we do for them. Um we if my mom or my dad have doctor appointment we my sister would send it out to everybody, hey, who's available? Mm-hmm. We, we don't divide it. You do it this time, I do it next time. We don't do that. We just send it out. Whoever, mm-hmm. Somebody would be available to take my mom and my dad to the doctor. I said, I said, Mom, Dad, you're so lucky. You have six of us. I only have one son. I don't know how they're going to take care of me when I'm older. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something we do. Um, we celebrate the Lunar New Year, the Vietnamese New Year. Um, on the Vietnamese New Year, I wear my traditional dress. And uh, we had red envelopes, which we put money in it, and we, we called it lucky money. And I would offer the money to my parents and to wish them health and happiness and um, to the older generation, but also to the younger generation for my nieces and nephew. We also offer them lucky money 
to, to just carry to teach them the, the, the culture yeah. and the tradition. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I, your story is fascinating. I really enjoyed listening to you. Thank you. Um, I don't know. It, it depends. You know, it's it's um, one thing I do need to. to I, I want. I feel like I have to say something about my mom. I took a um, a training here, a leadership training here at NGA, and the the assignment real quick on the spot and. When you, what do you, who do you think when you hear the word courage? And people um, in the classroom talked about this president that's, you know, big, big figure, sport person, and this and that. When it's my turn, I talk about my mom. Because um, to me, she represents everything about courage. Um, from a society, that woman is nobody. And for her, without my dad, and she took six of us on a boat, escaped the country, not because it's something that she wanted to do for herself. She did that for us, so her children can have the freedom and her children can have the opportunity and not be with the communist. And uh, she came here, she worked so hard to support us, to raise us, and never forget that whatever you do, you have to study hard. She's always there for us. And I love my mom so much. I remember um, one day on a snowy day that my mom came home from working at a restaurant. And she walked in. Um, I can see her from the window. She came in from the bus stop and she kept falling down because of the snow. I cannot tell you how much I love my mom and how grateful I am um, that my parents gave us life but also gave us the freedom. And talk about the freedom. I love this country so much. Um, it has been home for a long, long time for me. I left Vietnam when I was 18 and I have 36 years here now. I'm forever grateful for the freedom and the opportunities I have here. It, it, this is the only place on earth that I know that will give people that opportunity that you came here with nothing and you can make it happen if you work hard. What a powerful message so, and a powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. For Christine, being a government civilian at NGA is one way to thank the country who helped her and her family and to give back to the community she has called home for the past 36 years. Geointeresting is produced by NGA's Office of Corporate Communications. To hear the first part of Christine's story or our other podcasts, subscribe and follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud.